0: You're listening to Were You Still Talking? I'm just looking at one of your websites to use as a cheat sheet. All right. Hey, thanks for listening once again. This is Joel Albrecht, and this is Were You Still Talking? Today on the show, I have John Pabone. He is an author, consultant, and speaker helping businesses and individuals make sense of sustainability. This is a project that I'm very passionate about. And uh, so this is a very important guest to me. He has worked with dozens of companies, both consulting and working in them. Uh, He spent two decades in the business of, he has spent two decades in the business of saving our Earth. After leaving his role in the United Nations, he traveled the world studying the impacts of sustainability firsthand in factories, on fields, and in Fortune 500s. He shares his message through books, a consulting business and keynote speaking to audiences around the world. He is the author of two books. The first one, and I do love this title, Sustainability for the Rest of Us, Your No Bullshit Five-Point Plan for Saving the Planet. It's been described as a foundational read for practical sustainability in the 21st century and one of the best sustainability resources available to date. That's pretty big. That's huge. He's also excited to be uh, helping consumers make smarter choices that would be me and decisions through his recently published second book, The Great Greenwashing: How brands, governments, and influencers are lying to you. How can you say an influencer lies to you? And also, this is something I mean, I've known about this for a long time. so I'm really I'm always looking at the whole I love that I guess you've coined a phrase now, greenwashing, but I've always, looked at certain organizations and stuff and and thought what come on so welcome to the show welcome to the show (laughs) thanks so much for having me Uh, i can't take
1: credit for the word greenwashing someone came up with that well before i did but uh hopefully with the book more people will learn about what it is
0: (laughs) right right i think more people maybe need to have their eyes opened a little bit about what that is because it's it's obvious to some of us but maybe not to all of us so I mean, I do, I'd like to start with a, a small question and then, you know, we can just have a conversation. But um, my big, my biggest question in sort of concern, it, it grew bigger while I was stewing during COVID <laughs> with nothing else to do. Um, do we have a chance? I know that's a it's hard one, but you know, question. yeah, yeah, it's a little, just a little thing to get us warmed like up. It's like
1: we... We do have a chance, and and I think I'll preface all of this by saying I'm not an activist. I'm not a greenie. hugging the trees, saving the polar bears, that's great. It's not my thing. I approach saving the planet very much from a dollars and cents angle. That's why I've sort of worked in consulting for my entire career. I work with businesses, even though people might say that's me selling out. I I am a big proponent of using the, the private sector and business to push things forward. Because first off, they got us in the mess, so they should fix it. But second, they have access to capital and resources that governments and individuals just don't have. Some of these are the size of entire countries. So that's why I work with them to to get them going in the right direction. And because of what I'm actually seeing behind the scenes, you know, things they don't necessarily talk about to consumers, but the things that I do see, that gives me hope because I have seen the positive changes that these companies are making at scale. I have seen things going in the right direction. And yes, for most people, we see the news, we read the headlines, and it's all doom and gloom. That's just a very small part of what's going on. There's much more on the positive side than the negative side. And I know that's hard for people to hear because everything we look at is like, Oh, no, we're we're totally screwed. But I think if I had a crystal ball, which I wish I did, because then I'd be a billionaire. But if if I had a crystal ball, I would say 10 or 15 years from now, the world's going to look entirely different than how it looks today in a good way. So for consumers, for example, we go to the store now, we have to do research, we have to pay more if we want to make the right choice. But the way capitalism is taking care of sort of these old dinosaurs that aren't playing ball, they're not going to be around much longer, honestly. So 10, 15 years from now, we'll go to the store and all decisions we make are going to be the right decisions. But let's frame it, I guess, one more step further is the world going to look like some pastoral scene in a, a beautiful painting? No, that's not the goal. That's not what we're gonna, you know, get to. We're not going living off the grid and being on a kibbutz. But it's not going to be Mad Max either. It's going to be somewhere, somewhere in the middle. Is Mad Max a dated reference? I don't know. It's
0: not to me, and okay. now you know they're making new ones now. So okay, perfect. They, so we'll they are making Max. new Mad. So hopefully, people <laughs> with uh, Charlize Theron. I always. Forget how to pronounce her name. Anyway, uh, that, see that's why I had you on the show because I had a feeling you would have a a good a better take on it than I do. Uh, lots of times, um, uh, I'm I get so like uh, worried about things that I try and just push it away. But I've always had the same um, from an outsider point of view. I still I've always had that same idea, especially when we find out. Little things like, you know, our garbage company um, hasn't been recycling half of what we've been giving it. So they just stopped taking that. They've been still, well, you know, we're not taking that anymore because we really haven't been doing that. And that tells me, okay, on my end, what what am I going to do? You know, it's it's like, come on, give me a break. So it's really good to hear that there, are, that there are your point of view, you know, that there are companies out there who do care. And that possibly they'll have to care. I actually read this idea in a book called Natural Capitalism like 20 years ago or something like that. Um, I don't know if you've ever read that book, but it it was along the lines of the more we look at our sustainability, um, what they were thinking of as nature, the more that companies look at nature and sustainability, the more money they make. So I I guess I'm kind of curious, what's the holdup? Why isn't that caught on more? Because it still looks like... People are, um, not people so much, comp- big companies are really pushing away from being sustainable and there's even a push, I don't know if there's a question here, but there's even a push towards um, uh, marketing this whole thing of that uh, people like myself are are somehow evil, people who's, who uh, care about Things, <laughs> other people in the planet, and because I am a tree hugger, I'll go out and hug my tree right now, darn it! Except it's cold and wet, but uh, <laughs> but um, you know, I've I've tried to do things for the planet forever, but not not on the level that you are. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess my thing is, you know, why I guess why aren't more companies, and maybe the ones you work for are, why aren't more companies catching on to you make more money if you you know pay attention to this stuff. Um, th- so th- there's profit.
1: They, yeah, absolutely. Right? And they have, especially these large multinationals. Let's say the Fortune one or two thousand. Like they know this, and it's been built into their their processes and their strategies for several decades. Yeah, there's a few holdouts, right? I think in in the Great Greenwashing, I talk about these major sectors of corporations. So we like to think there's hundreds of different sectors. There's not. There's like twenty. But if we look at it and we sort of scale them out, there's those that will never be sustainable, no matter what they do. Their their business models are not conducive to being sustainable. Things like oil and gas, mining, defense, tobacco, these industries, unless they entirely change their business model, they can't be sustainable. So they go on one end of the spectrum. On the other end are those sectors that they're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but usually they're a bit better than most. So those tend to be highly regulated sectors, med tech, pharmaceutical, uh, finance, right? So again, not perfect, but they sit on the other end. All the others are stuck somewhere in the middle, varying shades of gray. We can't say one company per se is better than another, but sector by sector, we can sort of look at them and say, okay, there's, there's stuff to be done right? There's, there's plenty of work to be done. No company is perfect, but most of them are trying to improve the things that they're doing. The issue, a couple issues, but the biggest one is that it's slow. These are big behemoths. They are massive battleships that we're trying to turn around in the water and it's taking a lot of time. That will speed up as we go through and they start to adopt better practices. So it's more exponential than linear, but it does take a bit of time. And I think the second biggest issue, which we kind of touched on earlier is they're not talking about it. They they have a really bad time talking about the good things they're doing. I don't know where that comes from. I think it's a combination of not wanting to feel disingenuous by saying, oh, we're doing this amazing thing and, and bragging about it. But I also think their legal departments are probably really scared of getting in trouble for talking about any good thing that they're doing because of potential blowback from activists or or regulators. So we tend not to hear about it. But there is a lot of great stuff happening. It's happening at scale. Uh, but none of that is to discount any of the, the amazing things that individuals are doing. I don't want to stop people from doing the recycling, going out and protesting, going out and working in your local community garden. Do all of those things, continue doing that. But I think by and large, my message to people is to really consider, okay, is what I'm doing having the biggest potential impact possible? Is recycling my my cans and my paper what I need to do to build a better future, or is there something I can do that's going to be even more impactful? So it's more a challenge to people because at the end of the day, we all want to have our efforts realized into something bigger. So why not put the best effort possible into that? You talked about recycling, and that's kind of a bugbear for me because what (laughs) most people don't know is that household recycling, at least in the United States, only makes up about eight or nine percent of all global recycling. The other 90 plus percent comes from corporations. And Even within that, there's only a small percentage of all of that recycling that can actually be recycled. The rest of it just gets dumped. Again, none of that is to dissuade you from recycling. Please keep recycling. It is such a win psychologically because we have spent so much time conditioning people to do it that we need to continue to do that. But I think I say that just to point out the scale of the issues we're working with and also to double back to the reason why I work with corporations because the ability for them to change. And when they do change is when we'll see exponential uh, movements in the right direction.
0: Yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense to me because I see, I worked in the garbage industry for a while, the gar a recy- like hands-on recycling business. And I, so I saw how much trash goes in, how much recycling goes in the trash and how much trash goes in the trash. Um, we, in America, we throw away a lot, a lot of stuff. And I've um, I mean it seems like the way you're going about it makes more sense to try and convince corporations to uh to do stuff on their own because I've always thought, you know, it seems like legislation wouldn't work. For one reason it won't work in America, because no one's gonna do it. No one's gonna legislate here at this point in political history. And um so yeah, the other thing but I've always thought it really needs to come from um the corporate side, if we're using way too much plastics and we're putting plastics in the rivers and oceans and all this stuff and we need some 17-year-old to go out and try and clean up the oceans, maybe we need to stop using that kind of plastic because you can make plastic out of cornmeal and other, and my God, hemp, and other things Mm. that, you know, aren't as bad. So it's, um, yeah, I've, it always seems to me that that's more... Not going after corporations, but in um, trying to influence corporations to to do more. It seems like it's more on not. And again, like you said, of course we want to keep trying, keep doing what we're doing um, because it it makes some difference. Um, Absolutely. And yeah.
1: and if we do a bit of a you know take take a look at the history of the modern sustainability movement, we talk about it usually starting around 1962. We usually pinpoint Rachel Carson's uh, publishing of Silent Spring as kind of the start of the movement. And it was very different right. back then. It was not nearly to the scale of the issues we're facing today. And so because of that, the the activist community played a, a vital role as the vanguard of really raising awareness and letting people know, hey, we have an issue here we need to address. And they did an amazing job. They've spent decades doing that to the point that even in, and this is a fun fact that most people don't know, the first Earth Day in 1972, if you can wrap your head around this, was founded by a group of US senators. So politicians actually founded Earth Day, not, not activists, which is just mind-blowing. So that shows the impact I that activists had on the head. political <laughs> sphere. Exactly, especially that's today. Not, yeah, so, yeah. So that's the impact that the activists had on, on the political sphere. Corporations weren't really a player just yet because then in the 1980s, we have this conglomerization of basically everything around the world. Politicians took a big step back saying, hey, not our problem. Corporations got as greedy as, as they, they ever have been. And activists continue to try to fight the good fight. So that's when things started to get really out of hand and, and the scale got too big, which leads us to today, which is a time where a, awareness is there. I think at this stage of the game, if somebody says they don't know there's something going on, they're they're not paying attention to anything going on, or they're purposely getting in the way. So awareness is raising awareness is no longer the thing we need to be doing. It's important, keep it going, but it's not, the be-all and end-all. Now we need to be showing people how to convert that awareness into action. What do I do? I know there's something going on. What am I supposed to do about all this stuff going on? So activists and the raising awareness is again important but not as important as it may have been in the past. Now the importance is that that conversion. You touched on government. Governments around the world with the exception of maybe just a small handful have washed their hands of doing anything. Uh, That's because the political system in most countries is looking at a two or a four or a six year cycle, whereas with sustainability and building a better future, we're looking at, you know, 100 years, 150 years. So it's not on their radar. Uh, The latest statistics show that there are exactly zero countries on track to meet their Paris climate targets, which come up in less than a year. So that just goes to show that the governments aren't doing what they're supposed to, although we would love regulation to be in place. It's just not realistic right now for it to happen at scale. So again, we're back at corporations, the ones that got us in the problem, and the ones that have the ability to get us out of the problem. A uh, bit of a history lesson. But I do love to throw in that that Earth Day factoid for people. It was actually John Kerry, funny enough, that founded Earth Day. So, oh, wow. Uh, That's great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's followed him throughout his entire career, this uh, trying to
0: save the planet. And he's done a good job, so. I hope he
1: enjoys right. his, his retirement
0: yeah yeah <laughs> there there are people out there who who were trying and are trying uh, i mean because a lot of senators retire keep doing the same thing you know they keep uh, working on the same problems um so what I- uh whew. it's just so it still seems so overwhelming to me because you talk about 100 years in the future and sometimes i like i hope we have 100 years i mean honestly um when i see certain things not not only the lack of people care some people caring um but the the new the threat that we haven't had in it seems like decades of uh, of a nuclear showdown again i mean this this hasn't happened since i was in my early 20s and suddenly we're back at this Precipice. It has nothing to do with sustainability, but I just, um, you know, to me, sustainability is just as big of a problem Uh, if we don't, you know, if like you can argue about uh, who's going to be at the Super Bowl and you can worry about, uh, you know, what car company is going to sell the most cars and you can worry about um, all um, whether or not we have birth control. It's not that that is an important issue, but to me... If you don't have a sustainable planet, then why will that, that won't matter, right? That, those issues will, aren't, it doesn't matter. <laughs> And that's absolutely yeah, right, and I yeah.
1: every everything that I'm talking about about us making it to the future, uh, all of that's predicated on us not blowing ourselves up. So let's just be
0: very clear. Well, yeah, you know, I guess so. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we we can't really make it far if we you know decide to use the nukes finally. So no, no, I'm not I'm not putting that into the <laughs> into my thinking process and the trajectory. But framing wise, I think it's also important to remember that when we talk about sustainability. Um, you ask five people to define it, you're going to get 100 different definitions. But for me, sustainability is, and it's become a catch-all term, for anything that builds a better future for the planet or for people. So those two fit in quite well together. So it is the green environmental side of things, which gets the lion's share of the, the PR. But it's also anything that helps to raise the livelihoods of individuals, to increase literacy, to increase uh, you know lifespans, to give people decent work. All of these sort of things also fit squarely into sustainability, balancing them out. So balancing out the environmental plus all the social issues that you, you just touched on is not easy. We have a, a term in sustainability, which is just now starting to get out into public conversation called a just transition. And we, to your earlier point of why isn't this happening faster, a just transition starts to explain why. If we think about an industry, a highly polluting one like oil and gas, we want it gone. We know it. Uh, you know it's it's bad for the environment, but in our current society, it serves a purpose. We can't get rid of oil and gas because then we'll go back to the dark ages, which I'm not a proponent of. I don't want us living off the grid. Literally, or we, up. then
0: Literally. no one will have electricity for days. <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. So I know in that's the, not in good at all. Yes, you do. <laughs> so in the in the interim,
1: how do we phase out things like fossil fuels? and transition to the use of things that don't require those those nasty polluting companies to continue to operate. That's on an environmental side. On the social side, there are also massive implications. You can't just shut the doors of a company because what do you do with the tens of thousands of workers that will now be out of a job? People that, that's their expertise, they know nothing else. So then they can't feed their families because they have no income. So balancing that out is this idea of a just, meaning just equitable, transition, transition to something better. That's really slowing things down because we don't have the answers for that. And that can't be done quickly. It's it's a very slow, time bound process. And I know people are going to say, but we don't have time. And I agree, we don't have time. But what we need to do in my position on everything is that we need to continue to move the needle in the right direction. We can't stop and say, oh, we can't do it because we can't just flip a switch and make it happen. That's not the right mindset. We need to continue to look at those things that are positive, the things that are going in the right direction and continue to strive for better. And a great example is the movement towards electric vehicles. Now, when I was growing up, you know, they talked about I grew up in Southern California. We're going to have all electric vehicles by 1987. Obviously, that didn't happen. And it people continued to kick the can down the road until finally, as much as I don't like the guy, Tesla came around and, and created a need for EVs, or at least the market for them. So that started the ball rolling. And now today, every major car company around the world has some sort of electric vehicle. I think Toyota was the last holdout. Last year, they finally launched one. So What that means is that having an electric vehicle is no longer a differentiator for these companies. They need to be thinking further of what is next. And I know that electric vehicles are super problematic. They're not perfect, but are they better than combustion engines? Absolutely. So that's the needle in the right direction. I don't work with car companies. Uh, I talk to plenty of sustainability folks in automotive, and there are companies that are currently looking at, okay, if an EV is no longer a differentiator, what do we do next? How can we make a more sustainable ev or and this is a crazy one that i haven't even been able to get my head around totally just yet there are at least two companies thinking okay what if we don't sell
0: cars at all what does that what, look like you mean there future? are there are car companies looking talking about not talking selling about cars oh that's mm-hmm. amazing that's well, so, so, i mean they're, they're thinking, yeah because some of these companies wh- what do, do we everything. do like Right. Exactly. So right. how do we diversify
1: or how do we potentially say okay we're no longer an automotive company now we invest entirely in public transportation systems. So they're they're thinking about this and that's because they finally entered a virtuous cycle where they they need to compete on being different and being an electric vehicle producer is no longer a differentiator. So I think all of that is to oh. say that there are moves in the right direction and these things are happening, but uh, the transition is just a little bit slower than we would like it to be.
0: Right, right. When I really, something something I saw recently that convinced me that electric vehicles are coming up, I mean, it's like the car companies ha- um, have decided they have very little choice. And it, it was because Tesla, blowing up the market no one thought that thing would sell that well i still don't know if he's made money on the car it took him a long time uh i drove one i'm not wild about them which i thought i would be i love it when you put the cat the the electric pedal in but otherwise anyway that's but here nor there but the thing that really convinced me that they're here to stay is that i was watching a car auction that i watch on television a lot and they brought in this 67 gto Looked absolutely beautiful, like a 67 GTO should, and it had a Tesla driveline and it sold for <laughs> a lot of money. And I was thinking, okay, that really is um, cha- that's how the world is changing. Like, even people that are into these old cars that make a lot of noise want one with an electric with a Tesla drivetrain, you know. Well, why not? <laughs> so, I, I just thought that was that was you know, it was a good. It was showing the change, but that was one of my questions for you, actually. You said you are really into electric cars. Is is changing over to... Because there's a lot of you know hoopla around now. A lot of, I think, a lot of misinformation about are electric cars sustainable? Are they better than gas? And blah, blah, blah. I actually have a hybrid that goes 40 miles on electric, a plug-in hybrid. So most of the time, it's electric, which is incredible. Uh, when the power just went out we were really glad it was (laughs) hybrid but so is yeah how much of you know something like driving an electric car how much is um is that helping and those i know some of these companies are pulling back because of supply issues i think with batteries um so you know how much it does that make a difference is that one of yeah
1: Yeah. And the question we need to be asking is when we look at this, for example, electric vehicles is not, is an electric vehicle a sustainable earth-friendly choice? Because if we just ask that question, the answer is no, it's not. Hmm. The right question to ask is, is it better than what we had previously? And the answer to that is absolutely it is. So in that sense, we need to frame it the right way. And I think, as you mentioned, I, I wouldn't say it's misinformation that's getting out there. I think it's just framing things in a a very uh, incorrect way. So looking at, again, moving the needle forward, electric vehicles are the right way. But that doesn't mean we just sit on our laurels and say, okay, good enough, because that's not the case. We need to, and as, as I just said, companies are, looking at what's next and how to make it even better so that maybe one day we do create a fully sustainable electric vehicle. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's even possible. But at least the challenge is there for these companies to not just put their hands up and say, we're done.
0: Right, right. and there was, Which is uh... not
1: up to, at the end of the day, it's not up to the consumers to be driving this change per se. It's, mm-hmm. it's really in the hands of these corporations. Consumers don't do the R&D for these things, they might be able to speak with their wallets. And that is a great indicator for companies of what they should be doing. That's one of the few silver linings of capitalism is that companies respond to what the market wants. So if people are spending their money in in the, the quote unquote right way, then companies will and have responded in turn in the right way to build a better EV in that case, or to implement better and more sustainable strategies into their business models, or to look at ways to diversify and push forward
0: a just transition. Right. Right. That's, yeah, that all makes sense. Um, We have
1: capitalism. That's what we we have to deal with. It's not going anywhere. You know, I'm sure there's some brilliant economists thinking of, you know, what's next, but until we get there, this is the reality we operate within. And I know people don't like to hear that, but it's what we're given. So, you know, operate within reality because the more you try to push against that reality, uh, the more you're really going to, not want to
0: get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense to me. And you probably should get out of bed in the morning. It's it's yes. healthier than, than not. It's good for you. And it's, it's good, good for, the for you. I, uh, but I've felt that a lot of times, like this capitalism is not working. And uh, as huh. certain things in America are changing and we're going back to the 50s, it, it shows me this more and more. It's like a lot of this I see is well it's because of capitalism you know we don't our democracy is based on money now it's not based on a democracy and and everything is um on the other side of that uh you know when billionaires show people that they should sell electric cars then everyone goes oh we should sell electric cars so yeah it it's interesting it can it can work both ways um so let's get into a little bit nitty gritty what what is the biggest thing uh, this is one of those, you know, today's show questions. What is the biggest thing that uh, corporations could do to to push forward sustainability, to, to help sus- with sustainability? The, there's There's two big
1: answers. I think the first we touched on, which is to talk more about the things that they're doing in a genuine way that doesn't greenwash. It's not lying. It's just saying... Hey, you know, we've done X, Y, and Z. Yeah, we're not perfect. We're working on this stuff, but we're doing this. And the reason I say that's important is because the more companies do that, the more other companies will notice that and start to do the same. And you start to get the ball rolling where companies that haven't even thought of being good, and there's plenty of those, start saying, hey, there's something to that. We're going to change too. But if all the cards are kept close to the chest and nobody talks about this, then you know, it's left up to consultants like myself and McKinsey to be telling people to talk about it. So we don't want that. We need we need a little bit of help. So that's that's point number one of what corporations can do. The second, and this is something that grew out of the 1980s, which is the bane of my existence when it comes to helping companies be more sustainable and convince them to be more sustainable. And we, we alluded to this as well. Remember sustainability, we were talking, you know, decades, centuries, this is a long-term play, especially when it comes to corporations and changing the things they're doing. But executives and board members, they're measured quarter by quarter. So every three months they need to deliver on something and have a KPI that's met. That's impossible with sustainability, we can't do that. So the conversations I have, especially at the board level or at the executive level, is trying to find a way to, within a corporation, marry those two trains of thought. Marry the short-term, I need my KPIs or I'm gonna get fired or miss my bonus, Along with, okay, I need to think longer term about the sustainability of my business vis-a-vis these I can't believe I just said vis-a-vis, sorry. <laughs> the sustainability of I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> the, the sustainability of my my business, but also the sustainability of the planet. So balancing those two things out. A company that and companies have been able to do that. And they're the ones that are much further along and much more evolved when it comes to being sustainable businesses. Those that have struggles doing that are the ones that tend to be a little bit more like uh, the dinosaurs.
0: So let me back up a minute here for those in the back, because I I realized (laughs) I I skipped right over something. What is greenwashing? Let's start there. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's talk about greenwashing and what that is. So (laughs)
1: greenwashing, put simply, is when a corporation, we'll get into more detail in a sec, but let's say (laughs) corporations for now when they wrap themselves in the language of sustainability, of being good for the planet, being good for people. But the reality might not be so altruistic. So they might do something like they love to use green packaging. And this is what we call in the marketing world, the use of semiotics. Semiotics is the science of using symbolism to denote meaning. So if you see a package that's green, you assume, oh, must be sustainable because it's green. Or, oh, that has a you know, cute picture of, of flowers on it. That must be good. So that is the use of, of scientific neurological marketing tactics to try to convince you of something that may or may not be true. Maybe it is true. Maybe it's a good company. But uh, you probably need to do a bit of research to to be sure. So that's one way. The next is they often like to misdirect you. So they will load you up with jargon statistics. They will make you look in one direction, but not the other. Look at this cute picture of kids on the front of our sustainability report, but please don't look at the child labor we have in Bangladesh. Don't do that. So they'll, they'll misdirect you. And the third way is, especially for the really bad dinosaur sort of unsustainable companies, they will fund lobbying groups to influence politicians for their benefit. So these are the different ways that greenwashing in the corporate world manifests. So when you go to the store and you see a package that is talking about we're good for the earth, we have a green package and we love you, do a bit of research and see if that's actually the case. Because again, it might be, but nine times out of 10, there's probably something going on beneath the surface. That's greenwashing all told. It doesn't happen all the time. I think it's actually becoming less and less pervasive uh, over the, at least the last year because consumers are not, not dumb. Like We obviously know that's happening. We may not know what it's called, but we know when we're being lied to. So marketing departments are going one of two ways. They're either stopping the greenwashing, which is great. We want to see that. Or they're investing more money into being even better liars, which we don't want to see, but that's also happening. So that's oh, a bit yeah. of a brief overview of, of what greenwashing is. But as I was doing the research for my latest book, I thought, okay, do corporations, case studies, talk about it, great, be done. I'm peeling back the layers. I'm going, oh gosh, it's governments, they're doing it. Oh my gosh, it's the the, the UN's doing it. Oh no, the you know, International Olympic Committee and FIFA, oh my gosh, they're doing it. Then I peeled it back further. Oh my, oh my God, of course, the celebrities are doing it too. Of course, the influencers are doing it. Obviously, I totally forgot about them. And then at the end of the book, I also say, wait a minute, okay, since I've done all these other segments, why not turn the mirror the other way and look at us? Are we doing it too in our own individual lives and doing a bit of a challenge for people like we talked about a second ago to see if they're not, we're not sort of lying to ourselves and saying we're doing more than we actually are. So long story short, everybody's greenwashing. So just be careful because we're being lied to, which should not come as a shock to most people.
0: It's, marketers it's not, lie no a, a bigger shock to me the bigger shock to me was when you said consumers are not dumb but I'll just <laughs> I'll let it go <laughs> I, I, I see what's in my grocery store and I wonder sometimes but this is how I know that we make bad John choices, is a really nice but... guy
1: <laughs>
0: it's that, it's that d-
1: diplomatic background showing itself again <laughs> definitely
0: definitely <laughs> Uh, I also was. I mean, you've been doing this for pretty much your whole professional and and student career. What what pushed you this way? Were your were your parents the first birthday people? Were your parents at the first birthday? Oh God, they, they probably were. Actually, I don't yeah. know.
1: I never. I've never asked. No, my mom was a total hippie for sure, Southern California uh-huh. hippie. But I don't know if that was my reason for for getting into this. I think I've just always had that sort of. Do do goody kind of kind of bent. I think everybody from Southern California does. I think we're kind of born with it. It's cultural. But I always knew I wanted to go work at uh, at the United Nations. That was sort of my thing. That's what I went to school for. I, I oh, went wow. to New York for grad school to to go work there and got a job, which was amazing. But after I stepped out of the organization and went into consulting, I funny story. I took a trip to Shanghai and just for a vacation, and just absolutely fell in love with the place. So I decided to uproot myself and move over to China. I needed to figure out a way though to take all of that public sector experience, the the do-gooder government sort of stuff because even in consulting I was still working with public sector clients. How do I do that in a commercial city like Shanghai? And for anybody who hasn't been to Shanghai, Shanghai is capitalism on steroids. You take, you know, New York City, you take Manhattan, you take Wall Street and you, you know, mainline up some steroids and you get you get Shanghai. It is the the nuttiest place. So no room for public sector stuff there. And I fell into mm-hmm. sustainability. I think even before it was called sustainability. So working with corporations, I think they called it CSR back then, uh corporate social responsibility. And the rest is kind of wow. history. Mm-hmm. Um I that's where I really, you know, fell in love with mixing that public and private sector experience to to make a better future.
0: <laughs> that, that is that's awesome. Um so now my question goes to the consumer, the everyday person. You've traveled a lot around the world and I know jet travel is not known to be uh, a I, don't, great have thing a for I don't have a private jet Oh you jet. don't? Come, no. one. Come Just- on. Come <laughs> on. I want to go for a ride. <laughs> um but what what is like what is the I, I won't say the worst. what is the hardest things on, on sustainability that individuals do and or the biggest changes maybe you could make as an individual to help with sustainability or, or is it even is it all small changes? Like maybe I'm maybe I'm barking up the wrong uh, piece of plastic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um do you want the real answer or the PC answer?
0: Well, we can't do PC answers every more. It pisses people off. That just pisses people off, man. even i, who who understand some of the PC movement, I understand why it exists, but it even pisses me off. <laughs> and i and I'm a very far left person <laughs> it's like, So the man. the
1: number people aren't gonna like this, so I hope they don't take mm-hmm. this out of context. The number one pe- thing that people can do to build a better future or to be more sustainable or better for the planet is have fewer children. And we don't like to talk about that because all of a sudden you hear that and people say eugenics and that's not I'm not building the John Pabon eugenics program. That's not what I'm talking about. If you look at it statistically, we are a very resource intensive animal. So the fewer there are on the planet, the more likely it is we're going to have a planet to live on statistics show that having one fewer child will emit something on the order of 60, I'm going to get the stats wrong, 60 million tons of CO2 out of the atmosphere by having one fewer child, which is exponentially more than, for example, driving an EV, which I think is 0.2, which is nothing compared to all of not having a child would bring. So I'm not saying don't have kids at all. I'm just saying, if you can, if you're in a position to do so, think about having one fewer child, uh, because that will have a massive positive impact on the future of the planet. There's a thing called carrying capacity, which is the earth can only sustain so much. We're close to 10 billion people. If not, we're already at 10 billion, I think, uh, which continues to grow day by day, and there's only so much we can do when it comes to resources, food, water, space. We got plenty of, that's fine, but those other resources that we need to survive that's, uh, you know, the biggest thing we can do. And again, people don't like to talk about that. If you want to do something else that doesn't require, you know, not having fewer children, then I think it really is this one thing. And this is more psychological than anything else. But I always tell people, you can do anything, but you cannot do everything. I didn't come up with that. I don't know who did. But that's that's my truism. So pick what it is you want to do when it comes to building a better future. I think a lot of times as altruists, people that care, we want to do everything, right? We want to adopt every dog, feed every homeless person and go reach the elderly on the weekends. We can't do that because you're going to burn yourself out. So pick that thing that you're most passionate about, that you have a special skill in, or perhaps if you're financially well off, you can contribute to, we need money and stick with that. Be sort of, put your blinders on and just focus on that one thing, confident in the knowledge that there are billions of other people around the world picking up in every other way that you can't. But by bringing your best self, to whatever your passion point is, you're going to contribute more, and you're going to contribute for the long term. Remember, we're talking long term here with sustainability. So, whatever is going to get you out of bed in the morning to to contribute to a better future, focus on that one thing. So, those are the
0: the two things. That's the NPC and the PC answer to your question. And that's great. I um I've had this opinion forever, the NPC opinion. Uh, I do not. I'm I don't have kids, but it's not because Uh, sustainability it just that just how things worked out and I know there is a not a movement there's more and more younger people not having kids and not getting married and I think part of that is just how society is changing a little bit but when I say more and more I think it's a teeny teeny percentage so you know I think people kind of need to hear that it's uh, also to be okay with not having kids it seems like there's a huge push and I, I assume this is part of capitalism, but there's a, a lot uh, in America about having more kids. Um, and, you know, part of it is people my age that want their retirement paid for and stuff like that. That's part of it. I know that capitalism is based on more and more people. It's one of the reasons I, I wish there was a quicker answer to change it, or at least even make it as it was thought of originally, which is not what's happening now. But... Um, yeah. I'm I'm glad you gave both answers. Those, those are both really good answers. And it's hard. I don't know. It's hard for, I don't know why it's so hard for people to hear that. But I think most of it is because of the incredible amount of marketing. Um, even your tax dollars towards having less kids, of course, more education actually equals less kids. Um, I think that came out of, um, I forget the book. It's about math and how things change, but we, uh, as education goes down, people have more kids because it's one way to get money if you're you're very poor. So as as we lift people up more, you actually naturally would ha- we would have less kids. Uh, but I also like that you know pick one thing because, like you say, there are so many people doing another thing. Um, I'm actually hoping that some genius gamer or someone programs ai the opposite way that everyone's worried about everyone's worried about ai doing bad things and it already is but what if you could program ai to fix things you know which you can i'm sure um in a very short amount of time uh, i you know we could have ai programmed so all that false information is it, it gives out good information not false information it combats things and makes people want to be more sustainable uh the you know, the they're...
1: tech tech for good movement has been a massive part of the sustainability conversation uh, for a few years uh, mm-hmm. about a decade now and and to varying degrees of success so I, I think one of my favorite examples and this is pre the ai that we know now so i'm talking 2014-15 the the big tech companies went into a lot of factories in places like china and they used technology to streamline these factories i know that sounds very dystopian to say it that way but what i'm thinking hmm. in my head of what happened is as an example one company came in and they would do they would use ai to scan a factory to look for any potential issues of i don't know somebody's going to break their neck falling mm-hmm. over something or, you know, that's a potential hazard over there. So so using AI for that uh, great little social social part of sustainability, using AI to actually take over the jobs of workers in a good way. I know people don't like to hear that part, but when we think of factories, and I know a lot of people listening probably have never been inside a factory, you, you get these images of, you know, people doing manual labor, rope things that are just, you know, making widgets and there's thousands of people in there. It's hot. It's dusty. It's disgusting. That's not what factories look like anymore. So factories, essentially, you go in, it's dead quiet because all it is is machines and maybe three or four people running around making sure the machines are doing what they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And that's because of the rise of technology. And that's a great thing. Technology is not going to take over all factory jobs. That's impossible because there's still things that need actual human beings, which is great. But For those companies that have done this, especially in places like China, you know, manufacturing center of the world, that's allowed all the people that used to do the manual labor back in the 1980s to upskill themselves and have a better standard of living. So it goes back to this idea of of transitioning people into something better. And I think that is a great example of how tech can be used for good. It's not all, you know, dystopian Terminator stuff like tech can be, (laughs) and and I hope it continues to be a, a force for
0: good increasingly so <laughs> well and even in that he comes back for he comes back as a good guy Well, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> he comes go, back the second time and he's good I, I actually worked in a factory that made um uh not motor homes but coaches motor coaches which are buses that are turned into and they were using um i was brought in there to help them uh, as a temp to help them um do a new kind of manufacturing that based on cha- Japanese ideas of how to make cars and and organizing everything a lot better, giving workers what they need when they need it, not piling everything in a you know having stations. The workers were really annoyed by it, but uh, you know when I think about it. It was a far more efficient way to do things they needed they didn't need to order stuff ahead of time as much they didn't you know they needed they just used what they needed and then when they needed more they would get it so um yeah it's interesting Uh, that kind of stuff that's been and that was a a long time ago so um nothing to do with ai but it was uh yeah it was let's see can i do this yeah i'm using ai right now i'm using ai (laughs) For my video, if I turn my AI off, it messes everything up. Let's see. Here's my AI stuff. There's all my AI. Oh yeah, <laughs> it really, <laughs> really is impressive to me. I was like, wow, that's incredible. It's such a little thing, but yeah, it, it's, it's amazing everywhere. though. <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere. Uh, let's see if I. Whoops. I asked my wife to write down some things just in case. <laughs> oh, oh, and. and so is it, do you feel like you're getting your message out? You, you have actually done a lot just personally. Um, you've been on over 30 podcasts. You've been on um, dozens of um, network television and, and, you know, different types of media. That's what I'm looking for. You've been on all kinds of media. Um, does it feel like it's getting out there for you? And um, yeah, and follow-up question, do you have your own podcast?
1: Uh, I'll do the follow up first. I don't have my own podcast, but it is on the list of to do's for the year uh, once I'm once I'm done launching my book in North America, March 12th, shameless plug. So um, that's that's after after that marketing fiasco is done. I well, I think I I'll do a podcast or a YouTube channel or something. Um, mm-hmm. But I found that TikTok has been amazing. Honestly, it's been amazing for getting a message out in a way that is really conducive to what I'm trying to do. Because for a lot of social media, Getting a message like I have out in a thirty second clip is, needless to say, impossible. Right. But with TikTok, you can do longer form content, and so I think podcasts and YouTube will will offer the same opportunity. So definitely uh, love that, and I love the interaction capabilities on TikTok, where you can actually you know go live and talk to people and and answer these deep questions that people have that you can't do in a five second sound bite. Your first question though, is my message getting out? I think it's a continuous process and mm-hmm. I, I am probably going to be hard on myself and say that it is not getting out as much as I want it to, but that's also a little challenge and a fire under my own butt to to keep going. If I look at it, you know, taking a step back and looking at it objectively, I think it's getting out there. I hope it's getting out there um, because every little bit does help. I think the, mm-hmm. the sometimes the issue that I face is in getting the message out there in a way that people can understand. Because a lot of the message that I'm sharing, I'm very passionate and and I am solid in my position and the things I'm talking about is different than what most people have heard before. And so it's not just about talking the message of sustainability, building better future, but having to get people over that psychological hump of what's what? This guy is just, this is polar opposite of what I've heard before. And maybe I agree with it, maybe I don't, but it's going to take me a while to at least sit down and listen to this guy. So I think that's my biggest impediment. But none of that means I'm going to change my message because this is going to sound so arrogant. I love it. Uh, my message is right. So <laughs> why change it? <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Everyone <else> I'm is. <laughs> right. You're wrong. Sometimes you've got to have that confidence.
0: <laughs> it's Well, it's true. <laughs> It's true. I, yeah, I, I could use a little of that. Um, I mean, partly why after doing about 20 podcasts, I realized that part of having the podcast was to have people like you on it to see, you know, if there's any small way I can help get these kind of messages out there. Um, I have all kinds of guests, but this is, uh, this is the kind of thing I really like. Um, thank you. And I think and it, as well, yeah.
1: there's there's a lot of preaching to the choir that happens, and that's amazing. I love talking to other right, people that right. that love sustainability, that are already part of the 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 one percent that care, not the elite one percent, the one percent that care. Yeah. Um, but it's the other ninety nine percent of people that either have their heads in the ground or in the sand, or are you know they don't know the questions they need to ask. They don't know what they don't know. Getting to them is very very important. So getting out of this bubble of you know, sitting on a panel full of a room of people who are already in the profession. that that doesn't interest me. Uh, I know I should probably be doing that, and that's where a lot of my my professional colleagues what they do. But why why? We already we already know everything. So why talk to somebody who has the same opinion? You want to challenge people to change their opinions in the the work that I do, or else we're just going to keep running in circles on this fun little hamster wheel of a timeline that we've managed to find ourselves in
0: and that's a really good point. I mean, uh I don't have very many political guests or no none because the only ones I would want to have is people I agree with and what's the point of that? <laughs> yeah. Know? I mean, there's kind of a point to it, but it, yeah. So it's it's uh it's one of those things. It's a hard it's a hard thing to do. Um yeah. I think you should you're really good uh presenter. You present yourself really well, so like you would, you're a natural for having a podcast and having other guests in. <clears throat> that agree with you and are also right, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's great that your tick your social media stuff is has taken off because um, I know how much work that is. I mean, I have very small yeah. channels. They're mostly focused on um, very niche kind of things, flight simulator and stuff. But they're very so I know how much work it takes to make something go um and with all the i mean i read i'm reading your accomplishments on your multiple web pages i also had a question do you ever sleep is it is- uh, I'm, <laughs>
1: so I, I i sleep quite well uh oh, good, which is funny good. enough I, it's, it's it's weird uh, because yes i probably shouldn't uh, i i think the reason why it goes back to this idea of doing anything but not everything so compartmentalizing Mm-hmm. what it is I do. I think that has been just a game changer in terms of helping me bring my best self to the work that I do. Uh, if I was maybe you know earlier on in my career, and I, I look back at my time, especially at the United Nations, trying to do it all as a young professional, that's exhausting. I'm exhausted thinking about that. And I'm sure I was exhausted back then. But right, when right. I started to compartmentalize to the point that I actually, I was it was late last year. I was at a, a conference speaking and on a sustainability panel with a, a group of people who who care, which is funny enough that we just talked about that. But hmm. afterwards, someone said, they came up to me and they said, you know, you talk a lot about how that's not your responsibility. That's not your job. That's not what you do. A lot of not, not, nots. And I said, well, yeah, because if I said, oh, yeah, I do X, Y, and Z, then, you know, I'm I'm not being true to myself. So I think it even comes out in how I present what I do is, no, this is what I do. This is my we'll use niche. You just said niche. This is my niche. This is my thing. You know, everybody else is handling their stuff. And that's a big, you know, coming to moment to be able to do that with yourself, especially when it comes to altruism, where you're supposed to on the surface care about everything. Has plenty of stuff I don't care about. I think one of the first lines I said when we just started talking was, "I don't care about the trees and the bears." So um, <laughs> I think that, to answer your question, has been my saving grace of being able to get sleep is focusing a focus. That was a long-winded answer to your short question.
0: Focus, people. Focus. Like that that's response. that's good though. That's 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 an important thing because I re—I mean, it was a serious question. It's like, wow, you you do accomplish a lot. Um just being on multiple podcasts always blows my mind um, that people because a lot of people i have on have been on dozens and dozens and dozens and and it's a it's a lot and it's kind of a lot to do so i was curious um would you you don't care about bears i mean i care i care about the bears <laughs> but i'm not, spending, You're not you out know, tw- trying, 12 hours a day yeah.
1: working to help them there's somebody them. already doing that yeah
0: there's only a few species that are in real trouble most bears are in good shape really good shape black bears doing fine don't Except go the chlami- near
1: the chlam- them the chlamydia <laughs> chlamydia laden koalas oh yeah there's, well, a, the g- gu- there's a gonorrhea I those, are the few, those are some of the few
0: those are some of the ones that are in tr- that have are in trouble koalas uh, polar bears and grizzly bears although they're coming back in the US they're they're scaring people because they're coming back so much <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know this is still a sidetrack but they I just recently found out or was reminded that grizzlies used to be everywhere they used to have grizzlies in California. They had grizzlies all over Oregon and Washington. Almost every state had grizzlies in it. And I think the only state that does now is uh, Wyoming and little, maybe little parts of Idaho. Oh, Montana. Montana, Wyoming, and of course, Alaska. But it's, that's pretty amazing. They they were nearly wiped out completely. Mm. And they're just anyway, that's a different subject. <laughs> no, I mean does it does have is, to do it, with sustainability as well. Exactly. It yeah. does.
1: Yeah. I think the yeah. and and this is maybe a bit of a downer, but uh, I know it's winter where you are, but maybe in the summertime when you go on a road trip or whatnot, take take a you know, just a look of how many bugs end up on your windshield and compare that to where it might have been 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I currently live in Australia and it's summer here and we love to go on road trips. Um, there are not as many bugs on the windshield. And the reason I bring that up is it shows the level of species extinction
0: mm-hmm. that's
1: going on. And hopefully right. even with, with bugs, which are a, a very important part of everything that goes on in the world, we we start to bring them back like we have some of the other bigger, bigger mammals that exist.
0: Well, and the thing about bringing big mammals back is that um, they affect everything. Um, it's like they, they brought wolves back to Yellowstone, which really upset a lot of people, but they're having effects that they had no idea would happen because of what they do. They're doing their wolf things and, you know, trees are growing along the river again. And uh, like all these species are, the beavers are healthy again because of wolves and, you know, all these different things. It's interesting. So yeah, little changes. Maybe there could be a bug like that. As long as it's not a mosquito, I, we don't. <laughs> but I, mosquitoes, I just don't. Okay.
1: Singapore managed to get rid of mosquitoes. I don't know why we can't do it everywhere else. Because it's deadly.
0: <laughs> I want to get the, rid of them. The that's ways thing. to get them. The ways to get rid of them. It's the way. <laughs> I don't know if getting rid of mosquitoes will hurt environmentally, but the way we get rid of them. Yes. That's what great. DDT was for. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's nasty. They're, they're tough. They're tough little they buggers. Yeah. They're we full like of to... disease.
1: So we don't need that. That's true. I'm sure they, I'm sure they are part of the food chain somewhere. I know, but.
0: Somehow yeah. we're the biggest killers on the planet. Mm-hmm. Mosquitoes. they are. They're the, the deadliest animal on the planet, but mostly in Africa. So. Yes. But I, they must, <laughs> uh, do you have uh disease from mosquitoes in Australia? Uh, see, there
1: that, is a bit, not in the big cities, uh, but cities. you know, certainly in the in some of the more remote areas, it does mm-hmm. exist. We don't have, I don't think there's dengue here, but certainly uh, mosquito-borne illnesses, yeah. Do you have malaria? There's, they're the size of car, there's the size of cars here, so.
0: Yeah, I bet they are. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> Everything's bigger. Yeah. We go to Hawaii a lot, and there's these little, I don't even know if they're mosquitoes, there's little bugs you don't see, and then you've got all these bites when you... Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you go in at night, it's like, where do these come from? Just hope you uh, have your shots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're harmless, completely harmless. <laughs> oh, jeez. Well, it it's really been great talking to you. Um, uh, the work you do is is fantastic. It, it really is. Um, but we, I guess I'll wrap it up for you so that we don't have to keep, so you can do more podcasts. You can get out there and do more stuff. So you've been listening to, were you still talking? This is Joel Albrecht. And on my show today was John. I've already forgotten the pronunciation. Babal. All right, nice. You got it. We've been talking <laughs> sustainability, and we I'll have links. I, I think I'll have a lot of links to his work um, in the show notes. Please go there. Please check out his work, and um, I'll be sure and clip the part, the, the non-PC bit, so everyone can see that. <laughs> Thank you very much for watching, and we'll see you next time. Hopefully, I will be uh, getting more of these out this year than I did last year. Now that I have my power back, Uh, Thanks so much and as I always say, be good to each other and be good to yourselves.